Jason. <laughs> hey, brother. It's a good day, man. It's a good day. It's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we had our South African brother Andre Robbie. Yeah. On, and um, man, this guy is just a wellspring of wisdom and joy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and a fire emoji. If I if I was doing emojis. It'd be like a three fire, or four. Yeah, it's fire yeah. emoji on this podcast for <laughs> sure. Uh, let me yeah. let me read this quote, and we can talk a little bit about it before we get into it. But the universe has a direction; it is moving towards greater meaning and beauty. Hmm. It's an unfinished story, and the end has not been determined. You have been invited to author this specific chapter, and that yeah. chapter being the chapter of our own lives yeah co-creating with god yeah uh, yeah beautiful we, we, we dive into and he, he you know andre starts his bio off by using the word storyteller and i asked him about that he's a storyteller a theologian philosopher author and uh, but he starts with storyteller and, and it, what you just read kind of grabs it that we're on a journey awakening to union uh, you know, we, we started this conversation out getting to know him a little bit, like typical, but it wasn't long before we were talking uh, about incarnation. Uh, in fact, he says a phrase, um, all creation is incarnation. Man, unpack mm, that. Yeah. It was it was an amazing conversation, man. Yeah, that, that was amazing. I think, and you know, the, the other thing he brought up was just how Jesus um, kind of shattered the context of the religion that he was brought into right and and yeah. redefined it and yeah. uh, of course for you and me that that means that there was a a clearer or deeper understanding of the past of scripture but in this sense he's talking about even in our own lives we just can't adopt the even religious things that aren't working anymore right if it's not yeah. working anymore yeah. just get rid of it he's an open and relational guy yeah um and yeah. so we, we love talking about that. A lot of mutual yeah. friends. And there's a story he tells uh, about um, seeing, it's a Cornelius story. It really is about about discovering Jesus in, in a group of people that wouldn't necessarily know the name of Jesus. Amazing story. Uh, just a heart. This was one of those conversations that just enlarges your heart. That's the best way I could describe it. And, so. Yeah, and and the whole concept of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yep. Yeah, uh, we we talk about that as well. So, um, a great great conversation, and I think yep. I want to encourage people to leave this podcast and go and start looking at some of his past work, his YouTube videos. Just do a deep dive and uh, and see where it lands with you. We'd love to yep. hear about where it lands with you. Yeah, his yep. new book, Creative Chaos. Creative Chaos. And uh, yeah, uh, check just him out. Mind-blowing resource and a delightful human being with yeah. lots of joy on his life. Yep, which is always a sign that I think Jesus might be involved. The Holy Spirit may be involved. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of joy on your life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Amen. This is a good conversation, guys. Enjoy it. This is Andre, yeah. Robbie. Here we go. It's good. Uh, Andre, it is good to have you, man. Such a joy. 
It's good to have you on. We've been we've been wanting to do this for a while. We were talking before we started about some of our mutual friends and connections. Mm -hmm. I know you were just out there with our friends Carlos and Beth Padilla at their church in Omaha. I was just talking with him and then Jonathan Foster and then you were just recently on Randall Worley's podcast. Yes. But man, I've been I've been getting to know you for years. Uh, I've been following you. I have this book, Creative Chaos, oh, yes. here that uh, that is amazing. <laughs> Um, but it is an honor to have you on. You're in South Africa. Tell us a little bit about where you are, who you are, and share just a little bit about uh, uh, where you are right now. Okay. Well, thank you, Jason and Derek, for having me here. Um, I'm at the moment in a, a coastal town in the Western Cape of South Africa called Hermanus, one of the most just special places in the world. If you ever have a chance to visit do um, yeah. I think what it's claimed to fame is that the seven right whales come here once a year to uh, give birth to their babies so it's one of our favorite spots and eventually became a, a bit of a haven for us to to settle down in between our travels um, yeah there were there were a number of years about seven years where we constantly traveled, lived out of suitcases. And so to have found a little place where we can settle for a few months in between the travels has been uh, quite a, uh, such a joy. Yeah. And is it, is it south of uh, Cape Town? Is that? It, um, it would be east. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. South, right. Southeast kind of. Yeah. Southeast. <laughs> My brother lived south in Joburg. Of, south of Cape Town, I think, is Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's another place called Agalis, which is actually further south in South Africa than Cape Town. So we're okay, kind of in go. between Cape Town and Agalis, but uh, they're very, very close together. That's <laughs> beautiful area, man. Mm. I, my brother just did a, lived in Joburg, but just took his family over there for two weeks, and they spent they just uh, spent a, a couple of weeks yes. running with uh, the elephants and and uh, <laughs> in Cape Town and up the coastal area. Yes. Beautiful. I think down down there, Jason, it's known as Olifant. Olifant. <laughs> <Yes>. Wow. <laughs> if I'm not not mistaken, you, you, if you, my uh, Afrikaans is working today. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> I grew my, up Afrikaans. Okay. Um, and that's all I got. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> but Andre, we, we really truly appreciate you coming on here. We, we yeah. feel like you're, you're kind of in that legendary status of okay. one of our guests. And, uh, we really, really truly appreciate your ministry and your thought into rethinking God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Jason and I both have this firm foundation that Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess maybe a good starting point was, would be, when did you start rethinking God? And then how did those thoughts come to shape some of the thinking and ideas that you have now? Yeah. I, um, I grew up in a kind of Pentecostal church. And so it, had a, a good combination of some scriptural teaching but uh, mixed up with experiential <laughs> events as well. Yeah. 
And um, I don't think it's just that background, but maybe just my personality. I love both the the logic and the experience of things. And I think we, we often um, miss the best things in life when we separate the, the logic from the experience. It, uh, by either making things dry, theory, or so concentrating on the experience that we don't um, dig into the depth of, of what grounds it. And so I guess through, through my childhood, there were, you know, like for all of us, there were ups and downs in our experiences of God. Um, in my teenage years, um, I kind of got a little bit more focused that if I want to do this Christian thing, uh, I need to do it properly. <laughs> yeah. And um, during that time, the word of faith was kind of a big thing that came through. And um, I delved into all the books and videos and what was available and, and kind of put it into action. And to my surprise, there were some amazing results with it. But I think what came with the with the faith movement was in a very subtle way, even a greater focus on how we can get things wrong. Like, you know, within the Pentecostal church, we, we kind of definitely knew what was sin there, you know, dancing and smoking and, the, you know, all those kind of things. But when the faith movement came along, suddenly your very thoughts or or anything you said could be <laughs> either right or wrong. And so that, that pushed me as a teenager into an to a, um, interesting dilemma where I sincerely wanted to pursue this faith, but at the same time, I was desperately disappointed with my failure to continually right. think and speak correctly <laughs> and so one day I thought I'm going to give it my best effort and I kind of took out the journal and decided I'm going to keep a record of how long I can go without sinning and um, I soon disappointed <laughs> myself and I remember one day and this this was one of the kind of pivotal changes I'll, I'll name maybe two or three but the one day when I just fell back on my bed, disappointed in having missed it again, I so clearly experiencing in that moment of disappointment, the surprising vision of Jesus standing at the edge of my bed, smiling with absolute approval. And this was confusing. I, I was sure he had to be at least as disappointed in me as what I was. <laughs> but what I experienced in that moment is somebody that was completely and utterly in love with me. Yeah. And he just couldn't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> and as a, as a natural response, I fell in love. And yeah. what happened is... For weeks, months after that, sin became irrelevant. I didn't think about it. When you're in love, um, you know, what's wrong with the world doesn't really matter. 
because everything's yeah. right. <laughs> and so, you know, this is one of those experiences, but looking back on it, I can say that it probably shaped my theology, my message going forward, knowing that um, instead of speaking about what we're against, if we can draw people to the beauty and the wonder and the awesomeness of what we've discovered, that's much better than warning them against the dangers. So that, that was one experience. I, later on in life, I think another very important shift was a fundamental shift in the way in which I perceived reality. I think what, what we don't realize throughout our lives is not only how much our religion has influenced us, but how much philosophy and philosophical assumptions has been built into the theology that's presented to us. Right. And so I had this idea, which I think is widespread today still, that the true me, Andre, was a spirit designed and created by God, um, deposited within this body, and that my only responsibility was to discover what God has designed and made, and to be that. And that gave me a very secure, a very solid, a very certain sense of identity. I knew who I was. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to just summarize the fundamental shift that came about and we can chat about it in more detail. But what fundamentally shifted for me was that creation is not something that happened in the past, but something that still happens. That I wasn't designed and created by God in the past and then just put into a body. My only responsibility is not to discover and be what God had made, but rather that the very process of creating, designing and creating who and what I am is this ongoing relational movement. <laughs> that um, God is not solely responsible for creating me. <laughs> that he has given me the freedom to participate with him in this process of becoming. And that has a lot of theological ramifications and, uh, and um, yeah. implications which are so exciting. And I've explored those further. So that's mentioning quickly two things, a fundamental change in what I think the focus of the gospel is and the fundamental change in a worldview. And, you know, if yeah. your perception of reality changes, your perception of God changes as well. Um, yeah. The, the liberty of love, um, for me, the... I love the uh, the 
I also grew up in the charismatic church yeah. and, um, you know, the try harder, yeah. uh, it, it takes on so many forms, whether it's counting sins mm -hmm. or it's counting your lack of miracles, you know, it's always counting, always trying to measure up. And, um, one of the most pivotal shifts, uh, in my life happened through an encounter with love, you know, wow. liquid love through this moment of just, oh my goodness, it's better than I thought it was. Um, this measureless awakening to this measureless uh, nature that exists before and after. And, um, and, but, but I, there was something you said that, that, that reminded me, and, and I've probably told the story once or twice here, but in short, a, a few years, uh, more like 10 years ago, uh, I had a, a, a conversation with God where I was out for a walk and, and he asked me a question. He said, hey, Jason, is it possible to live in such a way that you can to, you can walk from from here into heaven without breaking stride? And, and, and really what he was saying is that there's a there's a way by which to 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 know me. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a shift in how I perceived the world. It was a I had gotten a revelation of how he saw me. I'd gotten an understanding of the, the dynamics between father and son relationship. Mm. I'd realized that Jesus lived from the well-pleased, not for it, that he yeah. got the well-pleased before he did all this stuff. Yes. But that conversation on that walk 10 years ago, um, it, it brought a liberty for me to review how I understood the world, how I understood the world worked. Um, I, reading Creative Chaos and, and, and having listened to you, there is a liberty um, that comes when you break the shackles of of uh, religion or mm. uh, or trying to perform to get to God. Absolutely. And 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 so the journey that I've been on is one in which, as those things break away, I'm suddenly open to ideas about how Scripture has has been put together, ideas about. Uh, how I think narratives, myths that have been built in mm -hmm. to our, our our consciousness through generation after generation, whether it's my cultural understandings or from cultures past. And I'm open, I'm not fearful like I would have been mm -hmm. uh, in days past. You know, the Bible had been elevated to such high heights that mm -hmm. I I lived in fear of, of getting it wrong, of, of, mm -hmm. of not interpreting it correctly or stepping outside the bounds of what the preacher Yes. Had told told me about the the nature of inerrancy and, mm. and 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 you know, speak a little bit about the liberty, um, I, because I think the audience that that is listening to this mm. podcast right now have found a liberty in love. We found yes. the logic of love, as Thomas J. Ward uh, uses yeah. that phrase, the logic of love, and it's brought a freedom to them uh, on how they approach scripture, yes. um, and and how they understand the world around them. Yeah. Uh, wow! Absolutely. I think for so so long and for for so many people, there's there's a stage in we in which we find our security in being right, and I think that's that's kind of a a logical stage within child development when the child develops from a, a young child that is occupied with fantasy and. Suddenly, the older brother tells the the child, "That's not how the world works." 
we, we kind of have that developmental stage where we say, okay, I've got to put away the childish imaginative things and become more certain about how the world really works. Right. Um, and so, unfortunately, that stage sometimes become overemphasized, especially in the, the Western world. We've got what is right and wrong. It's a very black and white world of how things work and don't work, even in our physics and our whole way of thinking, there's only one right way. And, um, you know, hmm, security is can be valuable. But one of the most secure places you can find is a prison. Right. And I think sometimes we become so obsessed with being certain and correct that our narrative becomes the prison in which we exist rather than live. Um, and so, yes, uh, correctness can bring certainty, can bring <laughs> security, but, but faith is something very different from certainty. No, uh, the, the, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Yeah. Um, and doubt is kind of the flip side of the coin of faith. You know? <laughs> um, when we find ourselves in that prison, uh, and maybe I, I must describe it in different terms, because it, it's not just a, a mental space. Let me say it in another way. If your experience of God has become boringly predictable, <laughs> if your experience of yourself has become boringly predictable, it's, um, it's very often because of the things that we are certain of, the things that That's we good. already believe, that we cannot experience God or our world or ourselves in a new way. We've become so set in those, uh, those categories of understanding. And so in that sense, doubt becomes a divine gift because it starts breaking down these prison walls, allowing you to see beyond your certainties and to reach out for possibilities. Now, I think what, what you said is so beautiful when you discover that love uh, and you discover that your security is not in being right. Your security is found in being loved. <laughs> and I'm loved whether I'm right or wrong. I, I'm loved. <laughs> that kind of gives us the liberty to say, Papa is not, our Abba is not offended by us exploring ideas. In fact, that was one of my greatest encounters with the Lord, where, where I experienced some deep doubts. And in the midst of that, I just felt our Abba's embrace saying, this wow. doesn't offend me. The, this is my invitation 
for you to discover me in a new way, for you to to experience me beyond the little boundaries that you've created. And so, you know, we know there are doubts that are distractive and not good, but I think there's also some divine doubts, and those are normally the doubts that come against our dogmatic certainties. Those are normally divine doubts. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah, yeah Andre, um, I, you know, I grew up in a very strong word of faith context. Um, and, you know, the teaching that you faith is a muscle or faith mm -hmm. is a fuel tank and you have to either mm -hmm. build it up or keep it filled by usually reading, confessing the word of God. And there was so much good that came out of that mm -hmm. environment. And yet I, I came up, became obsessed with measuring my own moral muscle by how much, quote, faith I had. And trying not and to the sin, big change right? for me. Yeah. Yeah, the big change for me came when I really, well, first of all, my daughter, my firstborn, when she was four years old, she had this, my wife would lead her through confessions as every good word of faith parent <laughs> does. <laughs> and she, she asked her at one time, she said, would you like to add anything to the confessions? You know, like I'm the head and not the tail, I'm above and not beneath, I'm, yes. you know, seated with him in heavenly places, all good. But she, she just turned on her little four-year-old mind and said, and love everyone the most <laughs> and that that unlocked something for me to begin thinking about god loving yes. everyone the most and my role in loving god was in also loving myself and loving everyone the most mm -hmm. so faith then the shift for me became that faith is more like a seed and it, it's not that it's it's going to be up to me to make it grow. Mm -hmm. It's just that I need to firmly plant that seed of faith in mm -hmm. the love that God has for me. I put it in a location. So it's not yes. about building a muscle or filling a fuel tank. It becomes about faith's location is in the love that God has for me. Yes. And then that, that began to change everything. And I was, I was, uh, you know, Jason and I obviously, think that Jesus is perfect theology. Mm -hmm. We believe Jesus is what God has to say yes. about himself. A quote from your website here, which I really love, I wanted to pull out and have you comment on it. But you said, many of our audience are from a Christian background. And have you considered the fact that Jesus did not simply conform to the religion he was brought up in, he shattered it as he uniquely reinterpreted <laughs> it. <laughs> I think this this goes in line with a lot of the the ways that Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say, yes. um, you know, a lot of the conflict I think that comes in our theology is because we have this God of the old and Jesus of the new. Could you, yes. could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> and the implications of Jesus, not just fitting into his religion is that if we are followers of Jesus, we're not just uh -huh. going to fit into our religion. <laughs> if we followers of Jesus, we've got to also allow this relationship to to produce some creative reinterpretations that might not fit into the current wineskins you know something that is gonna not just affirm what you believe and how you live but something that to an extent shatters it and presents something new so maybe one thing that I found so useful in my own understanding of Jesus being perfect theology 
Jesus being what God has to say about himself the, uh, and how that fits into the fact that there are values and truths within other religions and how do we remain faithful to our tradition, our <laughs> faith, yet able to value and love what is of beauty in others who are not of our persuasion. Um, I love the, the passage in Colossians where, where it speaks about Jesus being, um, you know, the, the, uh, this manifestation. It uses the word icon of the invisible God. Um, some of our translations says the visible representation of the invisible God. Now, one of the ways I used to understand that and which I've come to understand is incomplete is I've understood it that everything that can be known about God was revealed in Jesus. Now, how I now view it is that Jesus is the revelation of this mystery, is the visible representation of the invisible God, as opposed to Jesus exhausts the mystery. <laughs> so I don't think yeah. Jesus exhausts the mystery of God. I think God remains the inexhaustible yes, <laughs> mystery. Jesus is like the icon you have your, on your computer. You know, it is a way into the application that does much more than what the icon does. <laughs> it's that doorway. And so I, I absolutely agree. Jesus is that, that doorway, that that unveiling, that opening into this mystery that is inexhaustible. And so I can affirm all that Jesus reveals, but I can also say there's things that we need to discover about God yeah. <laughs> that Jesus didn't reveal. <laughs> um, a simple thing. Today we have an insight into the nature of reality down to the quantum level. I don't think Jesus uh -huh. knew that <laughs> or yeah. saw the beauty of the fields of possibility on the quantum. He never talked about it because nobody would have understood him. And so there, there's ways in which we can discern the beauty of God in nature, even as we explore it further, that, that wasn't revealed um, by Jesus explicitly. And so coming to my second question then, and I hope this is in line with what you meant with your yeah, question, yeah. Derek. If I'm getting off track, just tell me. Oh, this um, is great. This is good. I remember a, a few years ago, um, just to kind of illustrate one of these shifts that happened, which I think your daughter was instrumental for that shift for you love everybody the most 
it was still logically impossible to love everybody in my charismatic days because there are some of them that's undoubtedly going to be separated from us for all eternity. And so we kind of love them, but we don't want to commit too much into this relationship because uh, we're going to lose it <laughs> quite soon. Um, and so when that shift happened for me, when I understood that God genuinely loves everybody and that my responsibility is first and foremost not to get them to do a, a, a magic prayer or to change their, their beliefs, but my responsibility first and foremost is to love. And I can do that with absolute abandonment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can do that knowing that if Papa opens up a door for us to have a further conversation, great. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember uh, uh, one of the very few times, I think it might have been the only time, that I traveled to minister without Mary Ann because she kind of looked after a, a project we had going here in Hermanus. And I was in the UK um, for about three weeks. And I just finished ministering at one um, church. I went home that night, fell on my bed, and I started looking through my Kindle. And as I looked through the Kindle, um, it's got the advert. Sometimes when you just switch it on, there's an advert coming on. And there was this advert about Zen and the birds of Pray or Paradise, a book by um, Merton. And um, because I knew Merton, I thought, oh, okay, I, I know nothing about Zen, but this should be a great um, alternative to all the theological things I read. So I downloaded the book, started reading a chapter or two, and I had a notification of an email, and it was a pastor who said, you're going to be with us next week. Um, and I wanted to ask a favor. We've got a Zen community who um, have been pestering us to have a, a conversation and I really don't know what to do with it. But, but seeing that you coming, I, I thought I'll offer the opportunity to you. I said, I know nothing about Zen except the two chapters I just read. <laughs> but isn't that what the conversation is about? We we find one another in the conversation. Yeah. So I agreed. To make a long story short, the night that we had to meet with the Zen community, I invited another um, a Christian community, and I knew it's going to make some of them highly uncomfortable. But <laughs> that's where we grow. Eh? Is we, when we're uncomfortable. So they all came. I knocked it on the door of this building and this Zen priest in his kind of priestly dress opened up, said, are you Andre? I said, yes. And he grabbed me, held me, embraced me until I was uncomfortable and then let me go. And we all sat in a circle and... Uh, I'm telling this story to show how changes in our attitude, in our theology, naturally opens up new possibilities of connection. 
And when we perceive a God who's in love with all, we're going to have opportunity to connect with people that we haven't connected with before. And so we all sat in a circle and I was on the floor with them and I said, how do we do this? Do you, uh, do you ask questions? And the, and the lady, Elam, next to me said, no, we would love for you to please tell us about Jesus. And there was this gasp in the room because no one expected that. And I said, I'd love to. And she said, because let me explain to you, um, we, we haven't had a good experience. <laughs> we have the street preachers that tells us you're condemned forever. We, we overlooking, and they showed me the window overlooking a castle where the Catholics hung the Protestants and the Protestants hung the Catholics and they were, it's a violent Christian past of whoever doesn't agree dies. And so our perception of Jesus hasn't been great, but, but the funny thing happened. Since we invited you last Tuesday, Jesus kept showing up in our meditations. Uh, and um, I was surprised. And she said, but first you, you tell us about this Jesus. We'll tell you what happened. And so I had a wonderful time. I actually have the audio of that day on my um, website. And basically the message was that Jesus didn't just come to confirm our religion. Jesus came to open up our horizons for a God that's bigger than our persuasions. He didn't come to his community and say, congratulations, you had it right. He came to his community and said, none of you know the Father. <laughs> um, so let me, despite your thousands of years of Bible study, despite your wonderful, sincere commitments, you have missed the most essential part. And so when I finished the message, um, the head of the, the this group, he said, well, this morning as we started um, singing our uh, mantra, they call it a mantra, I was looking for the word, um, I saw this figure coming through the window and he had a cross in his hand and he presented me with his cross. And he said, this is where your ideas about God and about yourself comes to an end. Wow. Um, and I said, well, seeing that Jesus turned up while you sang your mantras, won't you teach us your mantra? I knew that would make my Christian friends uncomfortable again. But um, it's such a wonderful thing to discover that God wasn't silent before the Bible was written. And this okay. is like a 5,000-year-old Sanskrit mantra that begins, uh, it, this is a rough translation, but it's source of our existence. We acknowledge your beauty. We see your face. I mean, for us, that's, that's God. <laughs> and so they taught us the mantra. We could hold hands, sing that together, and Jesus showed up in such a tangible way in our fellowship. So all of that to say, 
Yes. Being open for possibilities of meaning, for interpreting the scripture. I'll just add this quickly. That night I go back to my room. I fall down on my bed. I'm just overwhelmed because I have this sense that Jesus has gone in front of me and prepared a way. And I've not experienced it in that way before, although now I can see it everywhere. Yeah. But I just say, God, this is like the book of Acts. And and I open up the book of Acts and I, I read about Peter in the city of Joppa. And I have this little commentary with me and I realize that Joppa is the same place where God sent um, uh, Jonah. He said, Jonah, I, I want to reach people that's not part of your community. And Jonah has a hard time doing this. Yes. And now, hundreds of years later, in the same town, God speaks to Peter and he says, hey, I've been busy with people who aren't Jews, who aren't Christians. I mean, this Cornelius is a heathen, but he hears God's voice with such accuracy. Send your servants to that town, to that road, to that house, ask for this name. I mean, how many people hear God's voice (laughs) with that clarity? And so for me, it was such a beautiful realization that God is involved with everybody. He's busy to whatever extent he can revealing himself. And if we are open to acknowledge that and to see that value, we're going to have Papa sending people our way from totally different backgrounds and areas and and don't be afraid that you're going to offend them because if you come not with a dogmatic certainty but with this overwhelming appreciation of a God who's present everywhere no one can resist that man uh, Derek um, I love doing this with you love uh, what God is doing uh, in and through our lives, the connection, the reconnection over these last years, uh, what uh, the, the favor in life on, on Rethinking God with Tacos, whether it's the Facebook group uh, or the Zoom calls and the, the ones we have in the future, just uh, life-giving and a, a fulfillment of the vision that I had nine years ago when we stepped away from pastoring full-time to start a family story ministries a family story ministries was meant to create content catalytic for an encounter with the love of god i mean it was that simple and and uh and it was very empowering for me to then lean into writing lean into obviously uh, speaking and teaching uh and and led to the start of this podcast almost five years ago a family story is a nonprofit, and it's um it's been uh, the home for for me for nine years as we've leaned in and so and i remember you saying uh coming out of covid that hey guys we started a podcast and you you and sarah were one of our earliest guests 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it definitely is content that is catalytic for an encounter with the love of God. Uh, we've yeah. experienced that by joining forces together. Yep. Uh, but I want I want all of our listeners to know that this is a listener-funded podcast. And uh, Rethinking God with Tacos has kind of taken on a life of its own in the umbrella of a family story. But a family story is... Your livelihood, Jason. Um, I, I get a salary from the church that I pastor, and uh, I, I donate my time and volunteer my time to do this. But I want everybody to know that uh, you can give to make Rethinking God with Tacos available to as many people as we can possibly make it available to. If, it, if this podcast has in any way uh, blessed you, helped shape your rethinking journey, and been a safe place to experience community on the Facebook page, then I invite you to, uh, to give not out of compulsion or arm twisting, no. but out of, uh, out of joy and yeah. generosity, uh, give into a family story and you can do it at a family There's a giving function on there and we invite you into partnership with us. That's a way that we can partner together to establish the kingdom of God through this podcast. And I love doing it with you, Jason. I really do. Yeah, yeah same here, man. Thank you. So grateful uh, for those who have given and who, who bless us and, and have prayed for us and partnered with us over the years. So love it. Love doing this with you. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you all soon. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, Jason, uh, just on the on the Buddha front, because this was fresh. I just spoke about this a couple weeks ago where... Paul and Buddha agree. Two millennia ago, Paul quoted what was likely an already ancient wisdom saying that bad company corrupts good character. But in the yeah. East, in Buddha's lists, list of 38 highest blessings in life, the first one is avoid the company of fools and the second associate with the wise. Yeah. So, I mean, this tr these truths aren't just exclusive to what we call Christianity. Mm -hmm. They are exclusive to Jesus, who is the truth and has revealed them quite possibly across all kinds of cultures Absolutely. and religions. Another place yeah. where Paul quotes, I think it's Acts 17, in him we live, we move, we have our being. It's part of our scripture now, but it was part of a, a philosophy that wasn't Christian before Paul quoted it. And so it's again right. a beautiful attitude that we're going to recognize truth no matter what form it comes in. Even the biblical, you know, if we look at the Old Testament, it quotes 20 sources at least that we don't have access to anymore. And so right. there's extra biblical sources that the Bible quotes for verification, for reference, for, uh, and we don't have those references. But it's much more expensive. Yeah, I uh, I love the to me the logic of love. It, the 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 moment Jesus is standing over you in your bed, mm. way way back, that Jesus is the same Jesus you're talking about now, years and years later. Yeah. That that measureless love that's going to show up. Uh, Derek and I talk about this often. That. Um, if there's no separation in love, mm -hmm. then Jesus is on every road, every Emmaus road, in any skin that he needs to be in mm -hmm. to reveal how God feels about you. Yes. 
and and there's no ego. He can go anywhere. I I was I was reminded as you were telling the story of of Peter and Cornelius, and and for me, the 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 I was having this conversation with someone just the other day. He he brought up Buddha, and um, and I said, man, I don't know Buddha very well, but I know Jesus well enough to to be able to have a conversation about Buddha. <laughs> that doesn't scare me at all because I'm I've really gotten to know him, but I I. Uh, I um oh, I've I've lost my thought the 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 <laughs> the thing that was burning in me oh uh, Cornelius I I was sharing with him I said you know I I said the only way I know I'm growing is that Jesus keeps inviting me into Cornelius's house mm-hmm. that that every time I turn around I'm in a new I, I find myself in a new place where Jesus is and I go hey look at he's here too yeah. like there's a circle and then it's bigger than that and the second I think that I have an understanding I realize oh there's no separation and I find my and so I, I really encouraged him uh, and what I heard you saying is for me the challenge was hey uh, and you know there's that like you said, I think all of us have these journeys. In my 20s, 22, 23, I came to a place where I actually bought into the idea that I am who I am. I can't learn anymore. I'm not. But thank God that love exploded that whole thing and that there's this measureless awakening that's taking place. And so uh, my challenge to him was, was, hey, you know you're growing when you find yourself in a new Cornelius house, uncomfortable, but yes. recognizing Jesus is in the place, recognizing Holy Spirit is there. Yes. This is the good news. This is the ever-expanding uh, nature of the love of God. There is no separation in him. Yes. To me, that to me, uh, we have that conversation a lot here. The When you begin to understand the cross mm-hmm. uh, through the lens of, of reconciling love, yes. uh, th- then you, you get to redefine everything from wrath mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to what, what sin is and what sin consciousness is. And suddenly there's no place you can't go where the logic of love isn't setting you free. Absolutely. I love just it. love it, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Andre, one of the things that came to me a while back, quite a while back, a couple things, but the whole concept of what happened in Adam being universal, but uh-huh. somehow what happened in Christ being limited, uh-huh. <laughs> it just, yes. it defies uh, logic, even our, our yes. own Christian thinking that we are we're universalists where sin is concerned no one has a problem with that mm-hmm. and yet when paul says the mystery of this entire gospel is christ in you the hope yes. of glory how is it that we believe what happened in adam was universal to all humanity but yeah. what happened in christ is somehow limited and yes. so as i began to ponder on that i realized you know if it's true then i don't i don't need to become hyper obsessed with getting people saved mm-hmm. i need to be hyper obsessed with loving people well and letting love melt fear away to reveal the christ in you the hope of glory and um it's it's a different strategy it's not it it doesn't fit our evangelical culture and i think that's where we've got it wrong yeah uh we we abandoned loving people well in favor of trying to get people saved um, yeah, and, and that begins so beautifully with what you said, with what you see in them. What mm-hmm. I see in the next person is more important yeah. than just what I tell them. Uh, because if, if you recognize and acknowledge and expect, anticipate, 
to meet Christ in your Buddhist friend, in your unbelieving friend. There's something about that way of seeing and anticipation that awakens <laughs> within yeah. them um, yeah. uh, 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 the, that attraction without you having to say it. Now, we, we can wait for the opportunity. There's, there are right times to say things, certainly. I'm, I'm glad that we were asked to speak to that Zen community. But yeah. but bef even before that happened, there was this um, openness of heart, this way of seeing. And yes, the, you know, one of the ways of understanding the all-inclusiveness of, of what Jesus accomplished Again, I think what makes it difficult is the whole philosophical assumptions that comes with our Western world. But if we if we think of just in terms of how the narrative developed, the story of Adam and Eve and the fall really wasn't a story that featured much within the Old Testament. I think today we grow up in a Christian community and this is how we make sense of where the story began and where it ends. But as a collection of stories for Old Testament Jews, of, of course the story was there, but they didn't have this developed theology of the fall. <laughs> Right. That's why if you read the prophets, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah, they don't tell people, hey guys, you are messing up, but yes, I understand you can't help it. You've got the sin nature because of what Adam and... They never, I mean, Adam and Eve is not even mentioned except for one or two places in the Old Testament outside of the Genesis 2 and 3. And so this wasn't a theological foundational idea that there was once a perfect world and then we fell and now it's messed up. It's actually Romans 5, Paul, that gave this story its prominence it had today. And the reason Paul mentions Adam is because he saw something that happened in Christ that is of such incredible significance. Yeah that he's trying to think, is there anything else in the history of mankind that would have had such ramifications? <laughs> and, and so if you see that, that the narrative of Adam, including everyone, actually began because Paul saw something in Christ of such incredible significance. It's like... Um, you you go to a doctor not expecting much is wrong and then suddenly the diagnosis and the treatment he puts you on reveals that the actual treatment reveals that the problem was much bigger than what you thought it was right. and this is what's happening for paul the solution is so enormous it's it's a new creation Everything's mm -hmm. new. I mean, this is why we must reevaluate the problem. And so this is why the, the problem of what 
what that story explores um, becomes universal is really because the size of what Jesus did is so universal. But I know that history is not taught within our normal Sunday school classes. We, we just begin with Adam being a big problem and Jesus trying to put some blasters on that problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're changing that. That's yes. changing. Absolutely. I see that. Changing. That is definitely changing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankful for guys like you are helping change. You reminded me as you're talking of your chapter, Divine Seduction, and and the uh, the language that you use. Um, I could quote it, but but the um, how how does God put the earthling in eating in Eden, and and um, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden, and then you you actually refer to this as the divine seduction um this um almost as though there's a, a loving god mm. who operates in the context of consent yes. uh, and talks us and walks us into yes. the garden uh you could spend some time there i know but uh, yes. uh, <laughs> it, it, it unraveled as you started talking i was like oh my gosh i've been <laughs> underlining that chapter yeah, I mean, one of the big things that I do in Creative Chaos is to present a different way of understanding those origin stories by yeah. looking at the context in which those stories developed. Um, I mean, it's not long ago, uh, you know, a century or two ago, they discovered the city of Nineveh again. And in there, they discovered more than 20,000 tablets of ancient myths and Adam um, features in there. Uh, there's a lot of the characters that we are familiar with in the Bible that features in these myths which are older than the Bible. And so right. you can see where the stories developed from. Um, they were all obsessed with similar themes. Uh, the themes of uh, the fact that humans have been given this incredible gift that we do not see in the same intensity in the rest of nature, and they call it wisdom. I think in our modern world, we would call it consciousness, that, that right. we have this ability to consciously reason to an extent that we don't recognize it in, in other animals, although it's there. Um, and then they asked this interesting question is seeing that you gave us this incredible gift of wisdom why did you not give us immortality also because basically what you've done is you've made us clever enough to know we're going to die right. and that's <laughs> not such a pleasant gift <laughs> and so all of all of the myths kind of struggle with this idea of being given wisdom but this wisdom has made us conscious of our imminent um, death. And so for many of the early Jewish readers, the, the Genesis stories, is, uh, it, it's not about the fall. It's a story about how we become human, how yeah. consciousness is awakened, how desire is awakened, how desire is twisted but how desire opens up a whole new world for us. So they would see that movement out of Eden more like the movement of a birth, 
uh, rather a horizontal movement rather than a vertical movement of a fall. Um, yeah, it's fascinating when you start yeah. seeing the, the, the alternative meanings that we don't always have. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love, I'm, I'm loving everything about this because it's, um, I, I think 10 years ago, had I read this, it would have been a little bit harder for me. Certainly 15 years ago or in Bible college, I might have thrown it away and called you a heretic. But, <laughs> but the, the journey of, of the logic of love uh, makes, uh, it's just such an expansive, the goodness of God is so expansive as to yes. be able to dive into uh, these amazing uh, narratives. Mm. Uh, you use, uh, you, you, you refer to yourself as a storyteller first and foremost. I noticed mm. that. Um, Maybe before we talk tacos, just, just t <laughs> tell me why, because I'm. I, that's how I refer to myself. Yes. I, I'm curious why that was the first thing on your bio. Yes, I think this process of making meaning is what we are all involved in, you know, and we can yeah. all identify with that. We all arrive in a world that's already filled with stories and narratives and, and, and we're trying to make sense of this. And, um, you know, professionally, we then get to a place where we categorize our knowledge and we call this philosophy and this we call theology and this we call something else. But the fact that we have categorized our knowledge doesn't mean God is not present there. It's like, I love philosophy and many of my Christian friends are very concerned about that because, you know, it doesn't deal with God. But God doesn't care how we've categorized our knowledge. He's present in, the, in biology, in physics, in <laughs> everything is present. And so for me, Psalms 19 is this beautiful passage which shows us that all of creation is incarnation. Day to day, pause for speech, night to night, pause for knowledge. And although we, we don't hear it, the message goes out that, that nature itself has a, the presence of God in it, revealing the, the nature of God. Um, so, yeah, that, that is part of that journey is to recognize God in, in all types of knowledge and categories of knowledge. Hmm. And, and Andre, I think that's, I mean, to me, that's what makes the incarnation absolutely amazing that yeah. god who is love would become one of us yes. and enter into our world yeah. and take on flesh it to me it's it's uh encapsulated in a new terminology that i've been using about being human affirming yes. you know, everybody's talking about affirming of different categories yeah but god just takes it straight to the top and he says <laughs> no i'm human affirming so if yes. you're human yeah i affirm you and love <laughs> love you 100 percent. i love it and you have a quote on your site real quick but you said the universe has a direction it is moving towards greater meaning and beauty it is an unfinished story and the end has not been determined. You have been invited to author this specific chapter, We're talking about our own lives, our individual yes. lives. 
I love that. It's just I think that's a beautiful way to look at. And that, that, that's, a, that's a way of again saying that the incarnation is not finished. The incarnation okay. didn't happen in Jesus, it's happening in you. That the essence of this message is not that you need to ascend into a greater level of spirituality, but that God has descended into your humanity. That this is God's ambition is to become you, to find an expression in you that he has nowhere else and this is where i sound like a heretic to myself jason but uh this is but i i say this just out of the greatest appreciation that in god finding flesh in each one of us he is experiencing creation in a way that he has never experienced it before there's something about your life that adds value to God. However you want to construe this theologically, you are changing God in the most beautiful <laughs> way because God would not be God in the same way he is now if you went here. There's something about his incarnation in your life <laughs> yeah. that yeah. enriches him. And um, yeah, so that, that incarnational message, that message that God is not standing behind us with a rod trying to keep us in a predetermined path, but rather God is the one who stands in front of us opening up possibilities um, undetermined possibilities, possibilities that he doesn't even know which one you're going to choose. Because the part of joy is being surprised and your yeah. life can be part of that movement that surprises God <laughs> and draws him into the enjoyment of existence without you. I mean, the existence as opposed to an existence without you. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I'm a simple guy and I know it's true when I can apply it to family. Yeah. For me, when Jesus showed us a father, it all made sense. Mm -hmm. And everything you just said to me goes, oh, that works in the context of what it means to be a dad or a mm -hmm. husband or a brother or a friend. Yeah. All creation, what'd you say? All, all creation is incarnation is, is incarnation <laughs> oh my gosh this is why it's the good news it, just it keeps is getting better it, it just keeps giving us more language around it i love it <laughs> i'm i'm jazzed i could do, i could talk about this for another hour but we've 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 had you uh we've we've had you an hour and uh i had a shawarma when i was in south africa oh, yeah. i felt was very similar to a taco yes so I'm not sure what you've got over there. No. We have to end with some taco conversation. <laughs> well, I will tell you one of the best um, tacos I had was actually uh, where Carlos is. What's the city? He's Carlos in? Padilla. Did he take in you the to the taco truck? No, no, but what's the city name again? We, we, Omaha. Omaha. Yes, we, yeah. we uh, at one of the stages, we, we the first time we visited, we arrived early. So we explored Omaha a bit and we went yeah. to a place there. 
oh my goodness. And I think it's just the quality of the ingredients. You know, if, yeah. it's so simple, but it was some of the best, I think, ribeye steak on a taco. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, we've got a few taco places in South Africa, but the, the very few. They're not not that big. But I recognize good meat when I taste it. <laughs> I'm sure you do, as all as all South Africans yeah. can. <laughs> I, uh, I I visited carnivores when I was in Joburg. We we're talking 15 years ago, mm. and got to try some incredible. Did you really, Jason? Yeah. yeah. Did you? I've been, been there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where they serve snake and. All and, uh, the exotic meats and everything. Some of the exotic meats yes. and uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and they put them wow, on bread. That's a first first revelation that Jason and I have visited the same spot on an, okay. another continent. <laughs> they put them on the here first. With our South African brother. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, and then you, but that, I, those are like a taco too. But yeah, the, listen, I, I, Carlos and Beth, they took me to some amazing places there in Omaha, and mm. uh, I had a taco with him at a taco truck, and it. It rivaled anything I've ever had before. So, wow. uh, Andre. Um, hey, Andre. Just just one final thought. I, yeah. I had to. I have to get this in there because I love your your mindset and your heart around this. I, I carry the same thing. Jason does as well. But yeah. one of the themes that I got from just going over your website was that we should value what is good from the past and reject what has become lifeless. Mm-hmm. And really, this was part of the work of Jesus yes. in rejecting what was lifeless yeah. and, but holding on to the, the good, yes. you know, that came from yes. the past. And I think that's where religion gets stuck yeah. and yet relationship yeah. and moving forward love uh, embraces, you know, Hey, I, I, I'm eating the good things from the past, but yes. I'm going to reject the lifeless things that are yeah. no longer carrying any, any and, of the glory of God. Sometimes we get stuck in simply wanting to reject everything that was wrong. Uh, and it actually yeah. takes a lot of courage to say in between the pain, the difficulty of whatever religious experience you've had, it has, it has contributed to who you are today. Yeah. Um, I I think the love of scripture that my parents and my church instilled in me caused me to read it so much that I no longer believe it's the inerrant um, word of God. And and you know, my love for, for it has only grown. I, yes, because 100%. you can you can only love something properly if you know what it really is. To ascribe mm-hmm. it some, you know, all kinds of descriptions that seems honorable, but it's not truthful, is not valuable at all. <laughs> and so, right. so those traditions and those ideas, those many of those ideas and theologies that I now reject, they've my very rejection of them has formed me. And so I am grateful for that past and for that experience yes. that has brought me um, to where I am. So good. That's a, yeah, that's a, that, that goes perfectly with my, my statement. I, yes. I love the word of God and I love my Bible too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. Such yeah. Yeah. It's such a restorative lens. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it finds... It finds 
the goodness of God in all the places. It's so, so good. It's the same for, I, Derek would say the same. I'm so grateful for all of the ways in which the different denominations I've been a part of and different movements I've been a part yes. of have introduced uh, Jesus to me. And he's really good at cleaning my lens along the way. Yes. Uh, and so uh, honored to have you. Man, I, we've had you over an hour. Uh, can you share with folks how they can find you? And then we'll do that in the front end as well. Okay, so yes, the, um, our website is alwaysloved.net. And from there, if you scroll down a bit, you'll see that we've got uh, a bi-weekly meeting. It's called The Whole that you can join. We've got the online school called the Mises Academy. Um, Mary Ann has got amazing music. So we've got li links to her music, um, to the school, uh, to all of that. And so please be in touch. Um, feel free to subscribe to the email and contact us uh, we'd love to be in contact <laughs> and we say yes to that as well awesome. honored to have you and thank you both you. it was such a joy yeah thank you thank you andre it was a delight to be with you today thank you thank you hey guys so glad you joined us on rethinking god with tacos you can find me jason clark online at familystory.org where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month letting you know about new podcasts, articles, and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus, occasionally I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at Jason Clark is. I'm on Instagram under the same handle and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah, and my name is Derek Turner. Jason and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in. Let us know what's going on in your life. But uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, you can find me at Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church. RiverCharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google. Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast. It helps people find us. That's right. So if this is a podcast that you enjoy, <laughs> then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, love doing this journey with you praying grace and wonder over you today. 